0: Hey, White Sox fans, you're not going to believe this. Dogout Metrics is back. The, the podcast that youth culture demands come out, say, more than every three months. We're back, baby. It's like, um I don't know, a week since our last pre-trade date deadline edition. And now we're going to do a post-trade deadline. Because guess what? We have something to talk about. I would have given these guys like three months off if it was a typical trade deadline for the White Sox or if they just dispense with some uh, prospects the way they usually do. No, the White Sox are a real team now. They got actual players for guys who aren't really players yet. It's delightful. I don't really know what to do with myself, and I'm getting giddy. So let's introduce Trevor Lines and Luke uh, Smales, who uh, comprise, obviously, they're the dugout of dugout metrics, and they're the metrics of dugout metrics. I don't know what my role is, so I'm going to stop talking and just say, first half of this podcast, guys, we're going to talk about the three guys, White Sox, acquired last week Cesar Hernandez was the first we're just going to go in uh, chronological order so tell me what this guy brings I think you guys are going to trade off defense and offense here but just go with it Uh, what did we get in Cesar Hernandez
1: yeah I think we there's almost seems like an assumption that we were going to get Eduardo Escobar for a while after Frazier was dealt Um, I think we Trevor and I might've felt the same way on that coming into the, the deadline, but when he went to Milwaukee, we were kind of looking around like, Oh, you know, I'd mentioned scope and Josh Harrison, but I'd never really thought Hernandez maybe just because he's with Cleveland and maybe they wouldn't hand him over. Um, of course, we didn't really know that the second year option was going to be a big deal at the time. We always thought, well, they won't pick that up, obviously because they have a second baseman. Um, obviously, obviously, Han might've known that something was in the works there when he acquired uh, Hernandez, but he's a switch hitting bat. who's kind of changed his offensive profile. He's barreling up a lot more balls. He's clearly going for more power um, versus the higher average player. He was more with Philadelphia and even last year with Cleveland. Um, But his defense has has been kind of weird because it's kind of fallen off. He's a gold glover last year. Um, And especially by outs above average, he's been, um, towards the bottom of the pack of second basemen, So I'd say that's a moderate concern, but um, you know, defensive metrics are kind of weird. And, and so far what we've seen, it looks like he's played a, a pretty adequate second base.
2: Yeah. I think defensively, I think Luke brings up a great point how these small sample sizes, you can't necessarily judge some of these metrics. You need a, a large, large sample in order to get enough data to really make a conclusion about the players. So While I don't think he's a gold Glover like he was last year, um, I also don't think he's uh, a liability out there. Overall for his career, he's been pretty average defensively. And then getting to that offensive profile, like Luke talked about this year has been a complete transformation. Um, Specifically from the right side of the plate is where he's hitting for a lot more power. Um, He's got obviously the 18 home runs that we've heard about. Um, But he's completely changed the way that he's going about it. Um, And I think a lot of people have pointed to the fact that his batting average on balls in play is a lot lower this year than his career norms, while his uh, expected WOBA is remaining relatively the same and saying that he could be in line for some positive regression in the Babbitt department. But really he's totally changed who he is as a hitter his launch angle is up from a career average of 7.9 degrees to now at 12 degrees. So he's hitting the ball in the air a lot. And what does that mean? That means that he's going to hit a lot more home runs, but it's going to come at a trade-off of his batting average on balls and play. If the ball is staying in the park and it's hit in the air, chances are it's going to be an out. So I think you can expect a little bit of regression towards positively towards um, his batting average, but, not as much as some people are saying, but like I said, from the right side um, is where his, his huge power has come from. I think he's slugging above 500 from the right side and in the 300s from the left side, he's still kind of more of his traditional, put the ball in play, uh, make things happen, try and get on base from the left side. But I, I like the move overall. Um, I think he can bring some left-handedness to this lineup. I think James Fox was the one that pointed that out on Twitter, but With all of the Sox key position players, for the most part, the majority of them are right-handed. So getting rid of Madrigal while it it hurts, it will be kind of nice to have some more balance to that lineup that's really struggled at times against solid right-handed pitching.
0: Now, I'm dull, so uh, as you guys are talking about Cesar's power, I'm going to also just point out, as if it's salient, he can bunt too. And Not that I like bunting. If you're going (laughs) to bunt, if you're going to call for bunt, Do it for a guy who can bunt, and it seems like he can bunt, so wow, it's another toy for Tony and the White Sox to play with. Now, I I don't want to grind this to a halt before we even get into our second player, but my eyes aren't that sharp, but everybody listening may just need to pause and jump over to YouTube because I think Trevor Lines has lost some facial hair or something. There's something different about Trevor. What's going on over there?
2: Honestly, I think it's the lighting because I haven't shaved or anything. Yeah. All right. Okay. (laughs) Good call out, (laughs) though.
0: Okay, Ryan Tepera is the next guy we're going to talk about, uh, the first of two Cubs acquired. Ooh, ooh, the Cubby sting question. I'm not going to ask it, but uh, obviously he got to the south side, had a couple couple rough back-to-back audience, which isn't great, but uh, let's just talk about what he's going to bring, because clearly he is going to end up playing an important role, not like the next guy we're going to talk about, but still a very important role in this bullpen at a time the White Sox really need it.
1: Yeah, we, we talked a, a decent amount about him um, when we were. We didn't even know if we were going to get him uh, in the last podcast, but um, like I said then, he's a he's a command over stuff guy. Um, he's one of the um, he was one of the top uh, command pitcher, relief pitchers available, and he really makes his money with his slider cutter, whatever you want to call it. Um, really commanding that, um, you know, down and into lefties and, and running away from righties is what he does best, and then he'll throw a sinker that he can get uh, low to mid-90s as well, um, and he, I guess he thought before they got Kimbrell that he was going to, okay, maybe he's the eighth inning guy that um can trust, you know, game in, game out to go there when he doesn't have the same kind of confidence in Crochet and Bummer, but now it's almost like he's an insurance policy. Say you bring in Crochet and Bummer, and they clearly just don't have it uh, throwing strikes-wise. Um, you could just you throw it to para in there, but yeah, he's had a, a few, you know, that, that first outing was, was definitely not good at all. A few early bumps in the road, but I think he's going to be a, a pretty dependable arm for the uh, the Sox. And now it'll probably be middle relief.
2: Yeah. That was a, a great call from Luke on our last podcast that that might be a guy that the Sox had eyes on and sure enough, uh, they got him. And we thought that was going to be their, their big arm of the, of the deadline, Um, And obviously that was a little bit overshadowed by the other Cubs reliever that they got. But like Luke said, he's going to be a very dependable arm for them. Um, He's increased his first pitch strike rate this year. So he's getting ahead a little bit more. Um, And I would be interested to see where some of Luke's metrics are as far as his stuff goes with your um, stuff metrics that you've brought. Because It doesn't, just looking from the surface level, it doesn't look like he has overpowering stuff, but he does use that breaking ball or that cutter um, almost as his primary pitch. And some of his advanced metrics, his whiff rate and his chase rate are outstanding um, towards the top of the league, uh, despite relatively average stuff on the surface. So it'd be interesting to see whether that's coming from command, whether that's coming from tunneling really well. I would think that that's probably an aspect of it too and then also just the fact that he's mixing his pitches and kind of pitching backwards a lot of the time.
1: Yeah, he really didn't grade out that well in any of the deception metrics um, or, or really stuff metrics either. I mean, that's the crazy thing about his slider is that it doesn't really move uh, that much more than, than the average slider. Um, he's just able to locate it so well that he has such great success with it. Um, you mm-hmm. know, we can see You know, contrast that with Aaron Bummer, who has probably the nastiest moving slider – But sometimes it's just so, you know, he can't locate it to where it can't be effective, where he can't get the sinker over to, you know, let that pitch play. But, um, yeah, it really just comes down to command because the stuff stuff metrics and deception
0: metrics don't grade out as well, at least according to my model guys I didn't want to bring it up but you're forcing me to because this is really the most important metric and I have to mention it it was the cubby stink metric and to Luke's credit when I when I brought it up in in dugout metrics five I confronted with that and Luke laughed at me and it turns out he's right you know you know Rick Hahn looked at the numbers too including the cubby stink metric and he must have laughed as well so hey all's well ends well although two games in not yet but let's move Speaking of Cubby stink, let's move to really the prize of this trade deadline and something I think that just made our heads spin because it did not seem like, I don't think we were trying to talk ourselves out. I don't think we are being like typical White Sox fans and being a little dour saying there's no way you can possibly get this guy. Who knew that the Cubs were going to still look at Nick Madrigal as say a top 100 prospect talent uh, because that certainly was going to be part of the cost for Craig Kimbrell. White Sox acquire Craig Kimbrell now basically have two closers, uh, complimentary or not. Well, they both yell, and they both have longish hair, apparently. Uh, But obviously, I imagine you guys got to be as tickled as as even just us dullards in the fan base just say, Kimbrough, good. Uh, All the numbers got to be saying that this guy is really having a a pretty otherworldly season after sort of almost flaming out of the league there for a a season or two.
1: Yeah, he – I I think – when you when you hear rumors about the Dodgers and the Rays being interested in Kimbrel, and then you're like, well, we, you know, the farm, our farm can't really stack up with that, so we can pretty much we can pretty much cross off Kimbrel off the the potential acquisition list. Um, then you heard maybe Houston as well. So there's just it seemed like a lot of suitors, um, but. Yeah, I I don't know about about you guys, but I was, you know, attempting to get work done on Friday afternoon, and then I'm kind of scrolling through Twitter, and it's, like, all of a sudden, um, you know, I think the tweet I saw was that David Kaplan threw out that they're discussing Cameron. I'm like, okay, like, maybe I need to, like, (laughs) calm myself down a little bit, because maybe this still won't happen. Let's not get the hopes up. And then um, I think it was, I think the first official tweet I saw might have been Jim Bowden from ESPN, um, and then... I think one of the anonymous, like Al's beef accounts said that Garrett crochet was (laughs) going to be part of the return. And I was like thinking, okay, that makes sense. Um, you know, maybe crochet has the ceiling of a reliever and I wasn't too, too, uh, unhappy with that. And then I saw the Madrigal and Hoyer kind of confirmation, I think from Jeff Passon. And at first I was like, man, I guess we just never really thought that Madrigal was ever going to be traded. Um, it was like, man, you know Madrigal. You always thought he was going to be a part of the future, and then you thought about it more and more, and you're like, you know what? Like, this is really refreshing to see them going out. Mm-hmm. They're they're taking a risk. It's not even a rental. We're going to have Kimbrel for next year, and this gives the Sox one of the most unique advantages in the playoffs, um, and for the rest of the regular season, which is obviously less important. But um, being able to go from Kimbrel to Hendricks or Hendricks to Kimbrel, whatever, is such a crazy advantage. Um, the only thing I'm afraid about is if we've seen LaRusa save Hendricks for the 10th. I hope he doesn't save Campbell for the 11th. Um. Oh, you know it's coming, Luke. <laughs>
0: I would be remiss, and I know Trevor will not let me not mention it, but Trevor did actually uh, post that David Kaplan tweet in our Southside Sox Slack, and I flagged him for Kaplan content. (laughs) It just ain't right. It is not allowed, but I knew the minute it happened, I thought, oh God, I got to eat just a little crow on David Kaplan, and it hurts. It doesn't go down easy. But Trevor, I imagine that even though you had this sort of like inkling and you brought this... Very interesting, exciting, but let's face it, easy to dismiss news because it's David Kaplan. Uh, Had to be pretty excited as you're sort of uh, pasting that tweet in and going, hold on, what's what's happening here?
2: Yeah, we had a four o'clock Eastern time trade deadline and I had a four o'clock Eastern time (laughs) work presentation on Zoom. So (laughs) you can imagine that was quite the multitasking for those first those last couple hours. So I was excited that it wasn't a true like last minute deal. Cause right. that gave me a little bit, of, a little bit of time <laughs> to uh, prepare for the zoom. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, I was, I was jacked up. I, I think I mentioned it on the podcast that we did right after magical got hurt, but I was never really a, a big magical guy. I wasn't like a total hater, but I was probably a little bit lower than average on him, but he was starting to prove me wrong. That's for sure not necessarily ever going to be a big home run guy, but he was finding some gaps and he was close to the team lead for doubles as well, just from spraying it down the lines and yeah. not necessarily your traditional doubles, but maybe more your hustle doubles. Which, hey, they still all count for the same. Um, that's kind of how I was in college. So I <laughs> definitely not going to uh, dismiss those hustle doubles. Um, but the guy that we got back, Craig Kimbrell, probably if you look at the statistics over his career, one of the top five most dominant relievers in MLB history. And uh, despite a couple of down years this year, he's turned it right back on. He's in the 100th percentile for expected batting average, the 100th percentile for expected ERA, the 100th percentile for expected slugging, the 100th percentile for whiff percentage, and the 100th percentile for strikeout percentage. So um, that's, that's all right. That, we'll, we'll take that. Um, and the way that he's kind of gotten back to his, his true, um, talent level. I think, I think it was Darren was it Darren black that wrote a article on South side socks ab- yes. a- about, um, Kimbrell right after the deadline, mm-hmm. but he had a really good write-up. So go check that out, but getting, he's getting his fastball up in the zone and he's getting his slider or curveball, whatever you want to call it down in the zone. He's not missing in the middle of the plate as much anymore. And then against right-handed batters, he's kind of hitting that outside corner with the fastball as well. Um, But I was reading up on it a little bit. It sounds like his little mechanical tweak that got him back to that was trying to stay closed for a split second more and not necessarily flying open, which is similar to something that we've seen with Aaron Bummer, similar to something that we've seen with Dylan Cease, um, trying to stay closed, drive the ball to the plate and stay on top of the ball. So um, Ethan Katz has obviously worked well with Cease this year. It sounds like it's something that's sustainable for Kimbrel. And um, if he continues with that dominant stretch, I don't see uh, unless Madrigal becomes some sort of a all-star 3000 hit guy. Um, I don't see how you can complain about the deal.
0: And it's crazy to look at, you know, uh, there was a question uh, on Darren's article and we're also pasting in the two pieces that Zach Hayes did on Cesar and uh, to Para, uh, we we had sort of follow-up coverage for all three guys to say hey what to expect with this guy and with with darren i just said hey why, why is greg kimball C- craig kimball good now and uh, he he made a great case for it in his piece and one of the initial comments was so then why did he ever dip was it was he was he hurt so i actually looked that up again i'm I'm a simple guy, so I'm not going to look at the percentages and whatnot. But really, one of the major factors is that I had forgotten about it. In 2019, uh, he signed. He signed. He signed late, right? He because uh, of the collusion or you know whatever it is, right? He signed. He got a late start to the season. And whereas a guy like Dallas Keuchel, that didn't seem to affect him too badly in going through some of the same steps with Atlanta uh, when he sort of went, had to go through the same thing, collusion or whatnot. Uh, Kimbrel maybe didn't take to it as well. Uh, there, you know, he did have some, 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 uh, some bumps and nicks, but that also could have been, Hey, <laughs> you're getting your butt handed to you, you know, just take a breather, take 10 days and come back. Uh, but by the end of last season, you know, short season, but what amounts to half the season, he was scoreless in September. So he was already, it seems like turning the corner, even though we look at both of those years as being like, for a guy who people talk about maybe hall of fame, Uh, you're not supposed to have a couple seasons like that, even for a closer. And, uh, you know, that might help explain uh, some of his dip as well. Uh, Guys, let's take a quick break. Uh, We're going to talk about who we sent off and maybe anything else we need to talk about in terms of uh, Cesar, Ryan, or uh, Craig here in the second half of the piece. But we'll be back in just a minute with Dugout Metrics number six. And we are indeed back with dugout metrics number six. Yeah, you were not expecting that we were going to have a six, so close to a five. But listen, situation warrants. We traded some guys, prospects, and we got some guys, not prospects. And it's just, I I still haven't really, I don't know what to do with myself. This is a very strange position to be in. It seems like it's been 20 years or my whole lifetime since this has happened with the White Sox. Uh, The second half of the show, we want to at least start with talking about some of the guys we shipped away. And hey, why not just go in order? I suppose uh, probably at least initially I was, I was a little taken aback at the cost for Cesar Hernandez until I understood a little bit more of what he was about uh, and what he could bring and the ceiling that he still had left, even in this very season. Uh, and that was kind of Pilkington uh, probably our best starter this year, at least in terms of guys high wall, let's face it, probably our best starter in the system this year, uh, a guy who seemed like he got it turned maybe a little corner this year was taking things a little seriously and pretty much had start after start that was really good. Uh, What did you see? uh, What do you guys see in him? And is he a guy who could uh, haunt us a little bit? What do you think his ceiling is?
1: Um, I think his ceiling is probably back end starter, um, which I mean, I know Cleveland's really good at developing pitchers. So you you think maybe they'd be able to get, maybe get a little bit more out of them. So maybe that worries you a little bit, but I think, You know, you look at Hernandez and you see league average bat, but he's really been a lot better since – actually since the foreign substance crackdown, I saw that his numbers have been a lot better, which I think pretty much the whole league's offensive numbers have been better. But um, he's obviously been a lot more comfortable since the playing field's maybe been evened out. Um, So with Pilkington, um, yeah, I don't don't think – there's just not a, a super high ceiling, I think, that you, you're like, okay, maybe we potentially trade an all-star pitcher unless Cleveland works some sort of magic, which they seem to have done before. So, uh, overall,
0: I, I'm not too worried about it. So, you're not haunted, but you're you're open to the not fact it. that one day you might be haunted. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying he could be the next Shane Beaver. I'm not saying he is going to be the next Shane Beaver, but, you know, maybe. <laughs>
0: All right. Trevor, any and if he does. Go ahead. If
2: he does turn out to be the next Shane Bieber, I mean, could you expect that he would have been the next Shane Bieber in the White Sox system? Because obviously the Indians are great at developing pitching. So even if he does turn out to have a, a higher ceiling, it's no guarantee that he would have turned into that player with the White Sox. But this year, his stuff really has ticked up. Um, from what I was reading, what I was seeing, uh, he was kind of more of a low nineties guy from the left side. And this summer he's been mid nineties, uh, a whip below one is always solid. Uh, so like you said, Brett he he probably has been the best arm in the system performance wise. so he's definitely raised his stock, gotten on some radars, and obviously the Indians saw something they liked in him.
0: and the uh, the clock is ticking for him in terms of forty man and that had to play a small factor at least. It's a stretch to say somebody's gonna pluck Pilkington and keep him in a bullpen or put him in a rotation in the major leagues from double-A, no matter how great he finishes his double-A season, but the possibility he's maybe the most likely guy they'd leave off who would get snagged in Rule 5. So that's a consideration, probably a small one, but a consideration. And that made me feel a little bit better about giving a, a, a guy who really, although I was sort of sound, roundly mocked in my original piece, calling him a power arm, I felt feel a little better realizing, that's right, I know I saw something. That is that his velocity had decreased, but it was ticking back up, which is sort of the way you want to see things going. But anyway, he's gone. He's Cleveland's issue now and we'll see what they can do with him. Uh, okay, so in terms of Ryan Tapera, the um, the cost there was small, and we've heard there's some reasons that really don't have to do with just sheer talent there, uh, including the Cubs sort of wanting to perhaps sign him for 2022, and so they were trying to do him a solid by keeping him in Chicago, and perhaps that's why they took only Bailey Horn, I'm guessing the Cubs Would have taken a much better deal if one was out there. It was a little surprising that that was the return given the way uh, even our own uh, articles, Luke, uh, you know, had described what the return, the likely return would be. Uh, Rick Hahn seemed to have turned this into a buyer's market and nobody else was playing by those rules. So hats off to Rick Hahn for what he did uh, because his three trades seemed to all be buyer's market and every other trade pretty much to a letter seemed to be seller's market. Very strange, but, Uh, And what we gave up in Bailey Horn, small sample size, but uh, initial reactions to Bailey?
1: Yeah, I thought, I definitely thought Tapera would get more. You know, when you try to knock up these trades, I think you try to look at previous trades, uh, guys similar to Tapera and what they've gotten in the past. And it's kind of tough this year because you almost have to look back at 2019, that deadline that was more typical. Um, And just looking at some of the similar guys, I just remember thinking, oh, these guys actually got some pretty decent returns. And then, yeah. Only Bailey Horn for Tapera I think was a little bit surprising, especially because I thought Tapera would be after the like four or five top level, well, Mm. relatively top level closers that'd be available. I thought Tapera would be one of the top set of guys that would be sought after. Um, With Horn, I think people have thrown out that he was a a kind of a sleeper um, in the fifth round that they liked the Sox grabbing in the fifth round after they had two you know, obviously they went they went big with crochet and then Jared Kelly, so they had to kinda of save some money there in the third and fourth rounds before grabbing Horn. But um there's definitely some people out there that like him. He pitched in the SEC, um, maybe be able to move a little bit quicker than others. But again, another guy that um I think maybe has a mid rotation ceiling that for getting a a good piece to to chase a pennant here uh, in twenty twenty one, I think it's a piece you're willing to part
2: with. Yeah, I think um what you saw at the deadline, there were a lot of relievers on the market, and unless it was one of those top-end guys like a Craig Kimbrell, they didn't really seem to command uh, a major price. I think most of the starting pitchers were the ones that got back uh, a better return, but the reliever market did seem to be a little bit saturated. As far as Bailey Horn goes, um, he's striking out over 10 batters for nine innings, um, and like Luke said, he was – kind of a sleeper that a lot of guys liked out of the fifth round. Um, So we'll see what happens. He's still kind of a a further away, especially if they're trying to develop him as a starter. Um, So at that point, you know, the Cubs saw something that they liked and maybe did to pair a solid, like you said.
0: Well, in a small sample size, but it's not encouraging that just the move from low A to high A resulted in Horn just getting pummeled. Uh, and he didn't know what to do with himself there. After doing very well in low A, it needs to be said, uh, not that you're going to extrapolate a ton from that, but it's, it's, it's not what you want to see. Not that there's never going to be a hiccup, but that's enough to give pause, not to trade the guy, but to say, okay. I mean, plus it's not Jerry Kelly we're talking about. This is a guy who's a college arm, even though he really didn't have a lot of reps in college. Uh, so certainly it seems like the White Sox got away with one a little bit there. So let's talk about a uh, trade where maybe they didn't uh, get away with one and maybe at best it's a win-win. Uh, Darren Black yesterday on the uh, farm podcast was, he was just preaching like milk and honey and all happiness and everybody was happy with this deal. Cubs are going to like it. White Sox are going to like it. I don't know what he was talking about. a jerk and talking about the Cubs being happy, but anyway, uh, obviously, pretty good haul. I mean, Nick Madrigal, we were not expecting to be on the training block. And now he is a Chicago Cub, an injured Chicago Cub. And Cody Hoyer, n- not nothing. I mean, certainly you can say, well, these these arms are a dime a dozen and, you know, guys are always coming up. And it's, it's true. Uh, starters become relievers. Relievers rarely become starters. Uh, but, you know, he's a year removed from some pretty lights out stuff. And obviously the Cubs are looking at him as perhaps closer material. So a fairly hefty price for Kimbrel. Uh, let's talk about the guys that were shipped north versus uh, what we've already talked about in Kimbrel.
1: Yeah, uh, I think, I don't think this trade happens if Madrigal doesn't, isn't hurt yeah. for the rest of this season. Sure. Um, I think factoring in that Madrigal won't be available for the run that maybe they have their best shot to win it. I think played a big role in them deciding to move him. I just think the ceiling with Madrigal is just not there with – that's there with other guys. And I think his production, while he's a good player, um, you know, I th- probably he's going to be 15 to 20% above average offensively for his career. career. He's probably going to win a batting title or two. Um, I think – you know, I think it's something you can part with. But people are talking about him being maybe – so this signaling being that they felt they overdrafted him at number 4 overall. Um I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but you know, I think maybe we didn't get the speed and defense that we thought we were also getting with Madrigal or that just wasn't a big part of his game. And so I think he was a little bit uh one-dimensional in his profile that I think not not to say that okay, it's time to just give him away, but it's time to be willing to include him to get a a major piece. And, you know, also I think the Cody Hoyer addition is pretty underrated. I think it would have been, you know, obviously the pen looks really good now, but if you could have kept Cody Hoyer in there as well, I mean, that would have been really good. We talked about his peripherals um, being pretty encouraging and that he, he'd gotten kind of unlucky this year. And again, he's the guy who's going to be controlled probably for what four years after this year. So I think that's an underrated move um, or underrated inclusion in the trade and I think the Cubs got a, a pretty good addition there. And I like to think that when Han was finalizing this deal um, that he was like, all right, Kimberl and Madrigal and uh, Jose Ruiz. All right. See you." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, obviously I- I'm sure he was pretty, uh, pretty staunch on including uh, Hoyer as a second piece.
2: <laughs> yeah. To get to Madrigal a bit, um, if you think of your stereotypical Cubs fan, I think they're gonna <laughs> love him. I think they're gonna love him because you know
0: that's the content I want. Trevor,
2: I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> burn any bridges here, but he's gonna hit for a high batting average. Um, a lot of your more traditional stats are gonna love him, but it is somewhat of empty stats um, if you look at the true like value driven advanced stats. And I'm not, I'm an advanced stats guy, but I'm not a end-all, be-all guy. So I do do see the value in magical bringing that high average, high contact rate, rarely striking out, but he's going to be a fan fan favorite on the North side for years to come. Um, And then as far as Hoyer, one little note uh, that I was looking up earlier in the season, surprisingly out of the entire White Sox pitching staff, you got Crochet, you got Kopech, you got Hendricks, you got Rodon that have all been Up there in the velocity. As far as perceived velocity goes, Cody Hoyer has the hardest perceived velocity of any pitcher on the White Sox staff, which takes into account the actual velocity as well as the extension that the pitcher is getting um, towards the plate. So the stuff is there. Um, Obviously, we saw that last year. His control hasn't necessarily left him this year. He hasn't really been walking guys, but his command, the ability to actually spot the pitches where he wants to has been why he's been getting hit around a little bit. So, um, if he can iron that out, he's still got the stuff to be a dominant, uh, back end arm.
0: He, uh, magical at least. Yeah, I think, is, uh, oh, go ahead, Luke. Oh, sorry. No, uh, go ahead.
1: Cut, cut, we cut off there. My bad. Um, but uh, yeah, I think there there was reports that the the Sox had or the Cubs maybe had a pick between Crochet and Madrigal, which I think is if anything it's just interesting. Um, which which guy maybe the that Han was hoping they would pick if there truly was a, a selection there, or from a fan standpoint, which which guy we would have had them rather take. I mean, I don't think you would have given up Crochet and Hoyer. Um, two two guys out of the bullpen, but it's definitely interesting to think about long-term. Would you rather have parted with Crochet or Madrigal?
0: Okay, speed round then. Who would you have, if that was your choice, who do you take? Um, As the Cubs? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> put the Cubs hat on, sorry.
2: <laughs> Go ahead, Trevor. I would take Madrigal over Crochet. I think that Madrigal is, Crochet just has too much of a, that, that velocity dip as well as the reliever potential profile uh, too much risk, I would say. So I would, would have gone Madrigal, the safer option.
1: Yeah. It's the Madrigal is definitely the higher, the uh, higher floor, but maybe crochet gives you that upside uh, that Madrigal doesn't, but I'm sure, you know, they're going to, they, I think they think they have their middle infield with with Horner and Madrigal two actually really like similar profile players, um, Horner's not as extreme as Madrigal, but it's, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, kind of how that all that all works out for him. But not that we're paying attention too much to what's going on up there
0: now. <laughs> well, you pun- you punted that nicely, Luke. I'm taking crochet. Uh, I think that uh, one thing that uh, Madrigal's need to work on is his no look tags, because now they have no that their their quotient their war for no look tags is like zero now that Javi Baez is gone. So he's going to have to work on that. One thing you didn't mention, uh, or you guys probably did, and I just wasn't listening. I was laughing. But uh, Madrigal's injuries. Uh, This is three in four years. They're significant injuries, not all his fault. I think that's got to be a flag, and, and that doesn't necessarily push a trade. I'm sure the White Sox didn't want to trade, although, Luke, you're right to point out that if Madrigal isn't hurt, I, I don't think he's on the table for a deal because he's producing for the White Sox. He's getting closer to 3,000 hits and all of that. He's not injuring himself sliding, or maybe he is. I think that's a real flag when the guy's uh, um, you know, floor is higher, but the, but the ceiling is still relatively low. When you're talking about a guy who's not able to, to suit up and the White Sox have a number of those guys. Luis Roberts, a guy who's now played, you know, maybe 60% of his eligible games since he's been a pro. Uh, Madrigal's number can't be much different or maybe worse. Uh, although he did, I guess, have a pretty full, uh, healthy season coming up to the White Sox. That's a factor I think you can't dismiss. And again, it's not a reason to trade a guy, but I don't think it's a, I think it makes it easier to trade a guy because let's face it, he's sitting watching the rest of the season. The White Sox are trying to win a World Series. Um Let's uh, let's skip to one thing before we go. Uh, I want to throw this out because we also we don't want to just talk about metrics. I mean, we don't want to talk about cubby stinks so much, guys. Let's get past the metrics. Let's talk about the dugout part. And I'm guessing, even though you've played in some very ferocious uh, prep leagues or or very, very cutthroat college conferences, you've never been traded or rumored to be traded. But I'd like to know, obviously, you've, you've got more playing time to get hot streaks. And maybe you've been hearing some footsteps where maybe you may are going to get a replacement starting lineup or have to platoon or something. When that kind of off-the-field stuff goes on, uh, I mean, I think a year ago we heard about Zach Collins, I think, the, the white section of Milwaukee, and he was talking like he was going to get traded. He'd heard he was going to get traded. I think maybe Jonathan Stever was the guy this year that was telling people that he had heard he was going to get traded, and he was sort of like packing his duffel bag a little bit. Um, what, what what would go through your mind, you know, as, as players when that sort of off-the-field stuff, like you're going to lose your role, something's going to change? How, how do you play through that?
1: Yeah, I think you, you go from having to kind of impress one organization, and you might go to an organization that's wants you to do something totally different with your swing, your pitch arsenal or, or whatever. So um, you're kind of upending everything you're used to. And, you know, just recently, I think Trevor Story had actually requested a day off with the Rockies because he was so um, kind of set on being traded and he thought everything was pointing to him being traded, you know, thinking, oh, I'm going to go to a contender. I'm going to contribute to a really good team. Actually, no, I'm just going to stay with Colorado. They didn't trade me for whatever reason. So
0: they were asleep.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it definitely plays – I think it plays – at minimum, it plays a little bit of a factor in your day-to-day um, kind of, you know, what's my what's my future going to look like? Because you could get traded somewhere, and that's where you spend the rest of your career, so you just never know how things are going
2: to play out. Yeah, I'm sure that was weighing heavily on a lot of these guys and probably contributed to some guys pressing. It's not they're, – they're not just players. They're people, too. They, their entire family is affected by these types of moves, and uh, their entire – you know, life outside of baseball as well. And I think you saw that a little bit with the Cubs hitters that hit home runs on their first game with their new team. You know, we'll see what they do the rest of the year, but I'm sure that that last couple weeks or so they, they had to have been in the back of their mind, pressing a little bit. And then another, another kind of note on that. um, I'm not blocked by Steve stone on Twitter yet. So I'll, uh, (laughs) I'll, I'll, I don't know if you saw, but the interview that he had on the score about Madrigal didn't really sit right with me. Um, I didn't really think there was any need for him to kind of go over the top um, bashing the kid right after he gets traded. And I'm, I'm sure, like I said, it's a very, very sensitive time for him. And while I agreed with some of his points, um, you know, there was no need to, to do that. I don't think so. Uh, Steve Stone, come on,
0: man.
1: Trevor, did you see that it was a year to the day that he said that Madrigal there's, he he said on the score that Madrigal was never going to be Pedroia or Altuve, but a year ago, the 31st of, uh, of, of July, 2020, he said, give the kids some time. He might turn into Pedroia or Altuve. Um, so (laughs) I apparently he only got what, less than a hundred games to prove that he could turn into that. But, um, yeah, I agree. It didn't really, it didn't really sit right.
0: <laughs> Steve Stone. Well, as someone who's blocked by Steve Stone for just suggesting that people perceive guys like Trevor Bauer and Marcus Stroman differently, perhaps because of the complexion of their skin, they block me. Oh, well, it's, it's hell to be right, guys. Sometimes it's hell to be right. And listen, hey, social media, who cares? <laughs> he's, a, he's oldster. He doesn't really know how to use it. Anyway. Uh, He's picking fights now. He was just like, he's anticipating fights now on Twitter. Anyway, we're giving Steve Stone too much attention. Bad call. Nasty play, Steve. Uh, Thanks, guys. This was uh, fun in reviewing these trades. Um, I don't know what sort of urgency is going to get us a Dugout Metrics 7 quickly, but let's hope we find an excuse for it because I love talking to you guys. And I know, again, the youth culture out there just loves hearing the Dugout Metrics podcast. So, Let's get back on there and do one soon. Uh, Whether the White Sox get hot, maybe get cold, whatever it is, let's join join together and do this again sometime real soon, okay? Sounds good.
2: Awesome. Sounds like a plan. Thanks, Brett.
0: Thanks, everybody, for listening, reading, watching. You really want to check out Trevor. Come on. You want to check him out? Switch over. And uh, we'll be back (laughs) maybe really soon for Dugout Metrics podcast number seven. Thanks for listening to number six.